0: For those who are joining us for the first time, my name is Black, and I'm one of the, uh, the pastors here, particularly uh, the young adults pastor. Um, the ministry that Michelle spoke about earlier on the tribe. Um, so, if you're young adults, uh, young adult rather, please come chat to me if you're keen on joining us. We meet you on a Wednesday, um, yeah, at seven seven thirty. Tribe on the move. That's what's up, right? Um, Thanks to, to Michelle um, for, for just sharing how the Lord has worked in her life. I'm going to pray for us, uh, and then we'll, we'll jump into it. But before we, we do that, please open your Bibles to James chapter 5. That's where we are uh, this evening. James chapter 5, and we're reading verses 19 and 20. Um, I thought this was probably going to be the shortest passage uh, that we've ever done. Um, but I found out that Frost beat me to that when he did. I think Ephesians one verse three only, so uh, we don 't have the record guys. Frost has it. Um, so we 're going to do James 5 verses 19 till uh, 20. If you there say i 'm there it 's good um, there 's a booming noise i don 't know if okay, cool. Dope. It reads as follows, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, verse 20, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it's active living, um, that it's, yeah, sustained us, Lord. As we come to the end of our series in the book of James, uh, you've been with us for the past uh, five weeks, including this evening, and you've been faithful to us. And thank you for reminding us of your faithfulness through uh, Michelle's testimony. And, Lord, we, we pray, um, as she said in, in her, her testimony, Lord, that we would step out and, and live as Christians. As She has reminded us uh, to be active in our faith I pray, Lord, that you would do that for us by the power of your Holy Spirit, Um, and pray that you would really um, be with us today in your wonderful and precious name, we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 So, if you're taking notes, today's title is, uh, This is a Family Project. Uh, This is a family project. I don't know what you know uh, or if you have an obsession about lost words, right? So somebody's lost words just before they die. I think our generation is not as, as obsessed um, about lost words, but, but we have some interest in it. In fact, there's a professor from Trinity University, Michael C. Carl. He's a professor of sociology. Um, and he says that the obsession around lost words came around uh, with the baby, baby boomer generation. So that's people who were born in the 40s, uh, between the 40s and 60s. They had this obsession, uh, and that obsession was, was so much that it became marketable. People started exploiting it in films, and they'd make films about, you know, somebody's dying words, uh, books about somebody's dying words. People exploited it so much uh, that other weird spiritualities came out of that obsession. Where people would even say that if you listen to somebody's last words or dying words, they could probably give you a picture, a glimpse of the afterlife, right? Um, stuff like that. But, but here's the thing regardless of whether we obsessed or which generation was obsessed with this, uh, human history does agree that there's a, there's a weightiness to last words. Amen. There's a heaviness to, to last words because that's the last thing you're going to hear from somebody. So say somebody who was a, a close relative, a parent, loved one, a leader, um, their last words, you're going to listen to those closely and pay attention to that. Um, as, I, as I think now, um, there was a video that came out recently of one cop who came to the scene uh, when Tupac was shot, um, and so the cop then says... These were two Puck's last words, which I'm not gonna repeat in the pulpit. Um, but, but if you know anything about Puck, Puck hated police officers. And that police officer said Puck made him know, right? It was clear that I hate you, even as he dies. Um, and, so, and so you know when people are dying, the thing that they're gonna use their breath to say is really, is really important. Either matters to them, uh, or it's gonna help us uh, for those who, who stay behind. So as we as we get into these two verses in chapter five of the book of James, these are James's last words, right? Uh, So so James wants us to approach them with the with the weightiness, with the heaviness, uh, seriousness, uh, because this is the last thing that he says to these Christians. Um, In fact, because of the persecution that has been happening, and we've seen that since chapter one, uh, church history tells us that shortly after James wrote this letter, he he got beheaded, so he got executed. Right? And he died. Um, and, so, and so these words uh, were very important for him to say as the last thing um, that he would want these Christians to know. Last week's sermon, we, we remembered uh, that, that James was saying uh, to these Christians and to us uh, that they, they would live as though they were the last Christian generation on earth. So they had a very strong tradition that Jesus is coming back in our lifetime. And so we want to live as though we are the last Christian generation on earth. Um, And so if that is true, what are these last words that James gives these Christians? What are the last words that James wants us to take after the five weeks of hearing him speak to us through this book? What are the five words I I want all of us to walk away with um, as we close off this series? It's there in verses 19 and verses 20. Uh, There's a clear CTA Uh, In those two verses, if you're a marketing buff, your brain just lit up when I said CTA. Uh, But what a CTA is, is a call to action, right? So somebody has told you about something, they've explained what this thing is, and now they're calling you to act upon the knowledge you know about this particular thing. And so for the past four weeks, James has told us how Christians who have a live faith should live, how we should avoid what dead faith is. And so now as we come to the end of James's address, he's saying, this is what you should do. Uh, What is the takeaway then? What are we supposed to take away at the end of the sermon, at the end of the series? James is saying, bring them back home. Bring them back home. And that's a general application of those last words in verses 19 when James says, um, if somebody wanders away from the truth... Bring him back. Um, that's what James wants us to know. That's the call to action after everything he said. Bring them back home. You could apply that to yourself as you sit here if you're a Christian who's been living with dead faith. Christian, come back home. It's time for you to trade in your dead faith and come back home. So, again, he's saying this to Christians uh, who are living with dead faith? He's saying this to Christians who are sleeping. James wants these Christians to awaken. He wants us to awaken and not sleep, um, and live as Christians uh, who have dead faith. In fact, in our tribe group, uh, Tia shared a, a very uh, fitting quote that speaks about what a dead Christian is, and it, I think it's it's very fitting to what James is saying. But listen to to this quote. Uh, so this person says, "Some sleeping Christians." protest uh, that they are not sleeping at all. So a sleeping Christian, a, dead, a, faith, a Christian with a dead faith, will say that they're not sleeping or their faith is not dead. And these are the things that they would say. We talk about Jesus. And the author says, but you can talk in your sleep. We have a walk for Jesus, but you can walk in your sleep. We have a passion for Jesus. Like last week I wept and cried in worship. Or you can cry in your sleep. I have a joy and I rejoice in Jesus, but you can laugh in your sleep. Well, we think about Jesus all the time, but you can think while you're sleeping. And we call that dreaming. End of quote. And so here's what that quote is saying, and here's what James is saying. He's saying that these things are not necessarily bad at all, but if these things have become dull, lifeless routines, then your faith is dead and you're living like a sleeping Christian, if you're not constantly drinking from living waters and you're motivated and living from that stance, examine yourself. All these things might have just become dull, lifeless routine. So you come to church, we raise our hands, we go to Bible study, we're distracted, we meet with our accountability partners, but our hearts are not there. And so all of these things have suddenly just become dull, lifeless routines. We've seen in the past four weeks what James has said, what dead faith looks like, a faith that does not have joy in the midst of trials, but it's a faith that grumbles, a faith that complains, a faith that's always pointing fingers at God. It's a faith that leans on the world's wisdom, as Michelle greatly reminded us this evening. It's a faith that says, I will look at the world instead of relying on God's wisdom. Dead faith is a faith that does not have godly words or rely on God's word so that God's word can commission its hearts or commission its hands. Dead faith is a faith that does not love hard at all. Or it's a faith that does not live as though it is part of the lost Christian generation on earth with bold, radical, brave faith. And so what James has been saying to us, what James is saying now in these two verses, which we 're going to get into now, is that if this is where you are it 's time to come back home it 's time to come back to God, and this is a family project. We need to do this. Call each other back home. We need to call those who have wandered off and have started living with dead faith. Amen, man, listen to verses nineteen we 're going to walk through this. Uh, The first phrase there in verses 19, James calls these Christians, uh, my brothers. And I want us to to pause there because this this phrase, my brothers, denotes a family. uh, It speaks of this identity that James uh, sees these Christians in. In fact, this whole letter, James has had that heart. He's been speaking to these Christians as his brothers, as his sisters. Uh, This is his family. These are not just strangers, but these are people he loves, he cares for. If you turn back a couple of pages, go back to chapter 1, and see how many times James uses that phrase, brothers or beloved brothers. Chapter 1, verses 2, counted all joy, my brothers. Chapter 1, verses 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Chapter 1, verses 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Chapter 1, verses 19, know this, my beloved brothers. Chapter 2, verses 1, my brothers, show no partiality. Chapter 2, verses 15, if a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. If you jump over to chapter 3, verses 1, know uh, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. Chapter 4, verses 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Chapter 5, uh, verses 7 that we looked at last week, be patient, therefore, brothers. And jump back to verses 19 of chapter 5, my brothers. Can you see what James is saying? These are his brothers. This is his family. Uh, We say all the time that we are a redeemed family of servants on mission. That's not just a mantra. That's not just a slogan, but it's who we are. All of us, as we sit here, different races, different backgrounds, uh, different education backgrounds, or whatever the case is, we have one thing that's in common. All of us have the same brother who died for us on the cross. All of us have been called together to have one Father who is God. You and I are family. All of us are a family. This is a family project of calling us back to our home, back to God. Uh, This is not going to be a one-man project. This is not going to be an individual thing, but this is going to be a family thing. What James is saying here, as we call Christians who've wandered off, who are living with dead faith, James is saying that we shouldn't be like our local Jehovah's Witnesses, who come to our gates and at first sight, you just want to lock them out. Because they're strangers and you know that they're going to treat you just like a a box to tick. And they're not going to hear you. They're not going to treat you like family at all. And in fact, I'm not taking shots. In my street, I've had probably uh, five couples of Jehovah's Witnesses that have come to my house. All of them uh, differently. But I later found out that they're all from the same church. And so when the fifth couple came, I wondered and asked myself, don't these people sit down and say, hey, have you seen that black guy at number 10? Yeah, no, I've, I've visited him. I've shared the stuff with him. No, none of them do that, again, because I'm just a box to tick. And so all of them come and treat me like something that's off a project, but not necessarily some, somebody who wants to belong in their family. And James is saying that to these Christians here. We are brothers. We are sisters. Let's not treat each other like strangers. So much so that if we have to go call another Christian to come back home, they're not going to look at you and say, who are you? Why are you calling me back home? What is this home that you're calling me back to? I've actually never felt like I'm part of that family at all. I see you coming here and you saying, I haven't been to church in three or four months. What do you care? Because even when I was there, you didn't treat me like I was family. You didn't care for me at all. And so James is saying, treat each other like a family so that when you call each other back, you're doing that like a family. Amen. And not just a bunch of strangers who are treating each other like projects. But we treat each other like family, like brothers and sisters. So when we do the work of calling each other to not live in dead faith, it is as, as family. Um, in fact, I've shared the story with, with some of you. Um, I remember the first time I came to Christ Church. Um, when I got here Sunday, I think it was like quarter past eight, the first person I met was King Rafa, um, and, and Rafa just just loved on me, right? Um, and that was something that I was looking for, because uh, all the other churches that I had been to previously, like, uh, yeah. If you didn't drive a fancy car, you, didn't, you weren't part of the royal family, you didn't dress nicely, then you're not part of the community, right? Um, and so I was longing for that. I was longing for community. I was longing for belonging to be loved. And I walked in here, and I remember how Rafa just loved on me. And not only that, but he introduced me to Kate, to Reggie, to David, and I was just shocked by all the love that I was getting. These people were genuinely interested in knowing who I am, where I'm from, what I'm about. Um, And to give you some background, when that was happening, me and my wife were engaged. We weren't part of a church because the churches that we were in, we left for other issues. Uh, And so I was looking for a church for all of us, for both of us to go to and I tried another church, which I'm not going to name by name, um, but, but it was a tight church, it was super tight, right, uh, so if you rock skinny jeans, you're going to have a tough time there, um, or if you have tattoos, you're going to have a tough time, right, uh, so, but I was willing to give up skinny jeans and tattoos for Jesus, so I invited my wife, and she walked in, and she was like, yeah, you can stay here with your people, I'm, I'm out, right, she left, um, and I was like, Lord, you have to help me, right, um, Fast forward, Google Christchurch. I walk in here. Everything I told you happens. Rafa speaks to me, meet Regie, I meet everybody. No joke. As I'm walking back home, I think to myself, and I pray. In fact, I'm like, Lord, if this chick doesn't want to come to this church, it's over. We're breaking up. We're done. I found a family. I found where I belong. I found love. And if she's not gonna be part of this, you'll give me another girl. Right? We're done. I, but that's how much I found family. That's how much I found belonging. That's how much I was loved. Are we perfect? No, we're not. Will we ever be perfect this side of heaven? No, we won't. But we strive to live like family, to love each other like family. So that when I do call you and I say, Bantu, I haven't seen you at church in three weeks. is like, who are you? That's not going to happen. So when I call her back, when she calls me back, I know who she is. I know she cares for me. I know she loves me. I know we've walked together. I know she's a sister. She knows that I'm a brother. And we walk in that relationship. And so when we're screaming, we a redeemed family of servants. It's not just the box we're ticking. It's not a mantra. It's not a slogan. But it's who we truly are. And we believe it. Because when it does matter and somebody's out in the cold, they need to know that home is warm. And we can call them back and they can come home. Amen. And that's what James is saying. That's the last thing he wants these Christians to hear. Uh, The second thing that he brings out there, listen to what he says. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, I googled that word wandering um, in the Oxford Dictionary, um, and and listen to what the Oxford says, and I think it's fitting. Um, It says, wandering is slowly moving from a fixed point or place. Slowly moving away from a fixed point or place. And the thing to note there is this slow movement. And so when one wanders from the truth, this fixed truth of God, this place of God, his family, his community, it doesn't happen overnight. We don't wake up with dead faith overnight, church. It happens over a couple of months, a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of years, and then you suddenly find yourself in the cold and you've wandered off. KB, Christian rapper, calls this the art of drifting. Amazing song. Listen to it when you get home. The art of drifting, because that's what it really is. Nobody stumbles upon apostasy. They find themselves saying that they're no longer a Christian. That happens over a couple of years. Nobody stumbles upon moral failure. That happens over a couple of months, a couple of decisions, a couple of years. Nobody just stumbles over uh, doctrinal deviation. No one wakes up and says, well, I believe that Jesus rose from the grave yesterday. Today I don't. That happens over a couple of months, a couple of days. That's what drifting is. That's what wandering is. The slow movement away from the truth. The slow movement away from the Christian family. I'm not taking shots with this example, but I think it's just fitting You know, you you call in on a Sunday or Wednesday or whenever we meet, and you say, yo, dog, listen, I I can't come to church. You know, work is hectic. Valid and reasonable um, explanation. But then what happens is the second week, you don't come to church because now you're resting from your first week of how hectic work was, right? And then the third week, you don't come to church because now you need to uh, uh, kick yourself back into action before you will come to church, that's the third week. The fourth week, you don't come because you've already missed, missed three weeks and it's the end of the month. So why should I even bother coming? Right? The fifth week, you don't come because in fact, I don't even know why I go to this church thing. Right? Week number six, who said that I'm actually a Christian? Why should I even believe in this stuff? Right? Week seven, now you start craving for community again and the closest is the Shisanyama down the road. And now you found another community there. And you've drifted. And you never come back again. That's how it starts. Yo, bro, I'm going to miss accountability today. Uh, Why? Ah, Stuff is just hectic. And stuff can be hectic. Hear me right. can be hectic. Right? But the second week, I don't come. That's because, like, there's other things that happen in the week. And I already made the, the, the excuse that stuff was hectic. Right? But now, third week, who actually said you should keep me accountable? Who gave you the right? Week four. But we're all sinners. Why should I listen to this guy? Week five, just going to live however I want to live. Really, this thing was never for me, right? But it doesn't happen overnight. It's decisions that we take slowly, surely moving away from this fixed truth of God, moving away from the place of God with his people, here, here, here's something that, that will be helpful. Three stages of what drifting looks like, right? And this can apply to all of us. In fact, it does. Uh, stage one, you are about to drift, okay? So you could be on a spiritual high. You can, you can stand here and share your testimony exactly like Michelle, but you're about to drift because when you get in your car, Satan is waiting for you, right? Sin is crouching at the door waiting for you, Right? So, so you, you're about to drift, stage one, or you are drifting, stage two, or you've drifted, straight, stage three. So you're about to drift, you're drifting, or you've drifted. And what James says here is the only way to come back is to trust and rely on this truth that you've always relied on. Because that's the thing that you're drifting from. That's the thing that we move away from. And James speaks of truth here in in, in two categories. One is a broad category, and and secondly, a specific category. So you move away from the truth about who God is. You move away from the truth about what sin is, what life is, what money is, what sex is, what race is, what gender is. You move away from those things. And and that's where we, we start drifting, right? I don't really agree with what the Bible says when it comes to race. I think this political party or or this other ideology seems better for me. You start entertaining it, and then you slowly drift from what the Bible says about that particular thing. Um, Michelle eloquently spoke to us about gender roles. I don't don't really believe that's what the Bible says about about being a woman. Um, And then you start moving slowly away from that. I don't believe that the Bible really says this about God. You know, like, sure, guys, I know we're Christians, this one God thing, it's cool. But, you know, there's this other girl at my office or this guy I know, he's such a good guy. And, and he believes something else. Such an amazing dude. Helps poor people, does good things, you know. He even covered up for me at work when I was late. So I don't really believe that there's this one truth about God. But surely this thing applies to many other people and many other religions. And you slowly drift away from those broad categories of what we know as truth but the specific thing that you're drifting away from is the truth about the gospel the truth about what jesus has done for us that's the thing that you're ultimately turning your back against because all of these other things are held by that if jesus Christ's bones are found somewhere in jerusalem we are wasting our time let us go home but if he has risen from the grave proving that his defeated sin and death on our behalf. That's what we're ultimately drifting away from. That's what we're turning our backs away from. So come back home. Come back to God. That's what James is saying at the end of his letter as he's speaking to these Christians. That's what he's saying to us this evening at the end of this five weeks. Come back home. You flirted enough with other truths. You flirted enough. With other things. Come back home. You're still alive. God is still gracious. He's merciful. Come back home. Come back to the community. I know some of us are sitting here and we we know people who've drifted off. Um, Come back. It's brutal out there. It's lonely out there. Come back home. Amen. James doesn't end there. Verses 20 Verse 20 is really like a double-edged sword because James in verses 20, he's speaking to the one who's fetching the wanderer, but he's also speaking to the wanderer. And so James is saying that the, the, by fetching um, the, the wanderer, the one who fetches, will be saved, but the wanderer's soul will also be saved. And so if we sit here and adhere to the call, that we need to bring our brothers and sisters back home. James says our souls will be saved in the process, but their souls as well will be saved as we bring them back home. So there's this double-edged sword that applies to both the one who's wandering and the one who's been called to fetch the wanderer. A similar thing to what Paul does in 1 Timothy 4.16, when he says to Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely, because when you do that, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. So if you watch your life closely and your doctrine, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And so think again about the three stages of of drifting. You're about to drift, you are drifting, or you've drifted. And so what James is saying is that the one who's about to drift, here's how you prevent yourself from drifting. Here's how you avoid drifting, is that you go fetch those who have drifted. And as you remind them about the reason why they should come back, you are reminded of the reason why you should stay. As you tell them, come back home. Because Jesus died for you. Because Jesus gave his life for you. Remember what Christ has done. Remember how merciful God is. Remember how caring and loving God is. Guess what's happening as you're doing that? You are reminding yourself of the same truth. So you are saving yourself as well as you telling them why they should come back home. You telling yourself why I should stay. If you're about to drift, go fetch those who have drifted. And you'll save yourself and them. If you've been wondering how to fight sin, and this is something we talk about at the tribe quite often, here's an effective way of fighting sin. If you're sitting at home and you're tempted to sin, you're thinking, you're wondering how you're going to escape this temptation, just go preach the gospel. Get out of your house and go tell somebody about Jesus. Yeah. Call a brother or a sister and tell them about Jesus. Because what's going to happen in the process is you're going to tell yourself about Jesus. The very gospel that saved us is the same gospel that will sustain us. It's a very easy and effective way of fighting our sin. Because again, once you tell people about Jesus, it's hard to go deliberately sin. And I use the word deliberate, deliberately, right? Right? It's hard to deliberately go sin. Not saying it doesn't happen. Not saying it won't happen. But it's hard. After you've told somebody about the, the majesty of Christ, you've told somebody about what Jesus has done for them, you've shared the glories of heaven, and it's hard to go back home and just, just chill in your sin. It's hard. So use that. How do you fight back from drifting or sinning? Just go fetch those who have drifted. In verses 20, James says that as you do that, you save them and yourself from death. What is this death? Well, it's God's judgment, God's ultimate judgment, that those who wander off and keep wandering, they'll only wake up at the judgment. God's wrath is real, and and James is saying take heed to that, take that warning. If you keep wandering... You'll only wake up at the judgment. makes me think of what John says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 19, and I paraphrase. But, but he says, those who leave us prove that they were never with us genuinely from the beginning. Um, and what he's saying there is that those who wander off and keep wandering off uh, just prove that they were actually never with us to begin off with. And that's a scary reality. And this is the same thing James has been saying over and over, right? You can have a season where you're struggling to have joy, but don't park there because that's not who you are. You're a person of joy. We are people of joy. There could be seasons where you're loving, but don't park there because we are people of love. That's not your permanent address. So come back home. Will there be seasons where we are wandering? Yeah. Just don't stay there when we come and call you back, when I'm wandering and you're coming to call me back, I should take that as God's grace. I should take that as God's mercies. I should come back. The one who stays wandering proves that he was never part of us to begin off with. I see this with my, with my daughter. know, um, parents warned us about the terrible twos. But our terrible twos are, are her sulking. She just sulks. For everything, just wanders off and has a long face. If I reprimand her, then it, and she, she walks off. right? Um, and I see her doing that every time we call her when she's misbehaving, whatever the case is. And she slowly wanders off away from me, trying to get as far away from my presence. Um, and I try to be a loving father, try operative word, um, but I, I fetch her, tell her that You know, this is why we did what we did sorry, love you, etc, etc trying to explain what she did wrong and eventually she comes around um, and she understands that she shouldn't have done what she did and she comes back I'd imagine, hypothetically my daughter sulks, starts wandering off away from me keeps on wandering, gets out of the gates gets out of our streets inevitably she's going to die she's alone and just wanders off No care, no love, nothing. And that's what James is saying. Those who will keep on wandering off, you're going to die in the wilderness. You're going to die alone. And eventually, you'll prove that you were never part of us. And you'll just awaken at God's judgment. And that's going to be a sad and rough reality. So don't park there. That's not who you are. Come back home. Come back to the Lord. In fact, he says this, this saving or this returning or this coming home covers a multitude of sin. So, so this grace, come back home. Home is where you are protected, where we can confess each other's sins, where we can pray for each other and look out for each other. So you might have wandered off because somebody was rude to you at church, somebody was not loving, somebody was uncaring. When they come... It's an opportunity for them to repent. It's an opportunity for you to exercise mercy. Like any other family who will have an argument and have fights. And will forgive each other and reflect what God has done for us through Christ. Love each other, forgive each other, and reconcile and come back together. But we just don't stay there. So this coming, this returning, covers a multitude of sins. Because home is where grace is. Home is where mercy is. And God, that's where hope, freedom, new life, new purpose, new perspective is. So James is saying, as he closes off this book, as we close off this series, if you have wandered off and you started living as a Christian with dead faith, come back home. If you started living as a Christian who's sleeping, And everything has just become a dull, lifeless routine. Wake up. Come back home. Christ died for you. He lived the perfect life that you're failing to live right now. And he lived it on your behalf. And he took that punishment of God on the cross. Where every time we fail each other, he did not disobey God in any respect. He was loving perfectly. And yet he was killed for our imperfections, killed for our failures, killed for all our else. But he didn't stay dead. He rose to give us life. He rose to, to show us this new family that he's called us into, this new kingdom that he's ushered in. So let's come back home. Let's live as those who will be the last Christian generation on this earth, trusting the Lord with all our hearts and having an active and living faith. Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that, Father, you don't leave us. As wanderers, you left your home, Jesus, to come into a mess so that you can call us back home even now Lord through James you are calling us back home because you care for us and you love us so I do pray Father that your word may not fall on deaf ears that we may hear you Lord as you tell us in John that your sheep will hear your voice I pray Father that as your sheep we've heard your voice And that we would heed the call and and come back to you, Lord. It's hard. It's not an easy thing. But you know and you empathize, Lord. And so I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you may help us. Remind us that this is a family project. It just doesn't fall on the shoulders of one individual. And so encourage us, Lord, to stand together to go bring back our brothers and sisters who are living in dead faith. In your wonderful and precious name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.